Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. My name is Hunter Gray, and it is uh, a great honor uh, to be here in Jonathan and John's pulpit. And it is a great honor to be here uh, for this occasion for the ordination and installation of my brother, Scott. Uh, Scott and I have known each other for many, many years. I'm the pastor at New Covenant, where it makes his, his family home. And uh, years and years ago, uh, Scott moved uh, back home after working across the country, and we struck up a great friendship. And uh, he uh, allowed me to, to pour into him. And one of the first things we did was go through the Westminster Confession of Faith and study God's Word and study uh, the Confession. And we continued to, to minister together, and Scott continued to uh, get involved uh, in the ministry of the church, and you could see Scott growing in wisdom and love of the gospel and love of God's people, and then it was with a great honor uh, that the church called him to be a ruling elder, and it was three absolutely wonderful years. Uh, the fruit that came from his ruling eldership uh, was magnificent. Uh, then he started asking about seminary. And at one point, he, there was a little bit of, we're not sure if he's supposed to go or not. And so I threw the hard hook and I said, fine, don't go. You don't sound like you're called. And I think that turned him into prayer. And he really discerned that the Lord really was calling him. And we were excited to see him go into ministry there. And I told him that the church would support him for three years. He had three years to get seminary done, or that was it. And uh, after the thir third year, when he was finished, he says, that was the hardest thing that I've ever done. I said, I was just kidding about the three years. Nobody does it in three years. Honestly, no, most people do, but you did it. And we're very proud of you, and uh, so thankful that uh, you the Lord has done this thing in your life, and it is uh, fabulous to see uh, from where you've come to where you are now, and I look forward with even greater joy to see the fruit of the Lord's ministry um, in you. Congregation, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. Prior to the reading of God's word, uh, let us uh, go to God our Father and ask him to give us uh, his Holy Spirit to be the illuminator of his word, both in reading and in proclamation. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we praise you for the ministry of your word. We praise you that you are God who is there and is not silent who loves to speak to his people uh, with grace and holiness. You love to reveal the riches of who you are through and by your Son. You reveal to us promises to lay our lives into, to trust and to build all joy and hope upon. And you give your people uh, great gifts you give them pastors and shepherds and teachers uh, to expound and to teach that word uh, that your people's faith in you might grow. And so, Father, we ask now uh, that this would not be 
an act or a deed of men, but that by your spirit, you would teach our hearts and our minds and our wills uh, your word and give us the ability to hear and to believe and to obey your word that you might be glorified and that we would be edified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, church, hear God's word. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy saying, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, in this text, the Apostle Paul is exhorting his young friend, Timothy, for pastoral ministry. And very interestingly, in verse 16, uh, Paul connects Timothy's private life to his public ministry. In other words, what Paul is saying, Timothy, is, is that people will not just follow your teaching. They will also follow your example. They will follow your life. And so my prayer for this congregation is that you will hear what the Scripture reveals uh, pastors are to be and to do, and that you as a congregation will seek only that for and in Scott and your other pastors, and that you would obey that. And that as the pastors that God places over you carry out these God-ordained uh, requirements, you would then pray for them, and you would encourage them. Uh, to be obedient to the message that the Lord is giving to us through this passage. And so let's see Paul exhort the young pastor in this text. Uh, the first thing that we see in verse 11 is Paul charges Timothy to command and to teach these things. Now, the, these things is referring to godliness, and Paul, in chapter 3, verse 16, uh, speaks about the mystery of godliness. He says that it was manifested in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. It was manifested as he was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen in, by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is the godliness of which he is speaking. It was manifested in every aspect of Jesus Christ's life and ministry. Therefore, what that means for us when it comes to godliness, um, for us to be godly is to be conformed in word, in deed, in attitude, in action, to be conformed to the likeness in all areas of our life to Jesus Christ. And godliness for a Christian is a complementary attribute uh, for anyone 
who has ever experienced the grace of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so Timothy tells Paul, uh, Paul tells Timothy to command that uh, and to teach these things. Now, the verb there, command, uh, it's amazing. It means to pound godliness in, pound it in. And what Paul is giving Timothy here is he's saying, I want you with an authoritative implementation to to get godliness into the church. Uh, Godliness is the key to the church's life and the key to the church's vitality. You have to command it. You have to pound it in. You have to, with authoritative implementation within the church, get it in there. That's the first thing that we see the apostle tell and command and exhort his young friend with. But the second thing is, is there's a problem for Timothy. In verse 12, it's addressed, and Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. And it was because of either Timothy's age or a combination of both age and experience or lack thereof, uh, his position within the church could create resentment. Now, notice what Paul does not say to do. He does not say, well, Timothy, the solution to maybe this resentment or lack of respect, uh, it simply needs to come in the form of you need to tell the people to respect the title that's been conferred upon you. Demand respect. No. Paul does not do that. What does he say? He says, rather, he says, set the believers an example. And you have to understand, and Scott, you have to understand this as well, that a minister's example is inevitable. The congregation will imitate a pastor. They are the shepherd leader of God's people. But the question then becomes is, which example are the people of God going to follow? What is the example that the pastor is going to set for his people? Well, Thanks be to God, Paul does not leave it to the imagination of the pastor to figure out what example that is to set. Paul says that you are to set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. The speech here that Paul is talking about is wider than just preaching or teaching. It involves all communication in which the pastor engages. All communication that comes forth from the pastor should be truthful. It should be edifying to the people of God. It should be honest. It should be clear. It should be consistent. The word of the pastor should be trustworthy, and it should always be upright. That's how he should set an example in speech, and you should follow that in how you speak to one another as you follow the pastor and listen to the word of God preached. Secondly, Paul says that the minister's conduct should be above reproach in all areas, that is, theologically, relationally, professionally. His conduct should be above reproach when it comes to his physical interactions with people, emotionally and socially. What Paul is saying here is that the pastor's behavior should be a pattern of godliness, Back to that. In other words, that the pastor's conduct should be into the conformity of the likeness of Jesus Christ. 
that when you look on the life of your pastors, it should remind you of Jesus Christ. That when you see how your pastor interacts with people around him and with yourself, that he should be image forthing the glory and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Paul says to set an example both in love and faith. Now these are two fundamental qualities of any Christian's life. But from a minister's faith and trust and belief and hope in Jesus Christ, therefore a love of God and a love of God's church should flow in both the good times and the bad. He should have deep personal attachment to the members of his congregation. He should love them dearly. He should have a genuine concern for all of the neighbors of the community and love even the enemies of the church that will come forth from within and from without. From that love and faith, he should always be seeking to promote the welfare, or you could say the salvation of all to God's glory. And the last area that Paul tells Timothy to set an example is purity. This is a a general moral cleanliness and a conformity to God's moral law that should define the pastor's character. The 19th century Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane said that my people's greatest need is my own personal holiness. You need to see the glory and the pleasure and the joy of holiness in your pastor's life. And as Timothy comes to command godly living, point one, he is to overcome any question of the sparsity of his years or experience with exemplary character of his life. And Paul teaches, and he teaches all pastors, that this is what will earn you the deserved respect as a reverend, and it will simultaneously show your people how to live in a proper response to the grace of God in Jesus Christ to his glory. You are to set an example, Scott. Thirdly, after Paul tells Timothy this, he says that as a function of God's grace confirmed uh, by the, the elders, the laying on of the hands, he says this to him. He says, Timothy, read, preach, and teach the scriptures. Open God's word. Teach it. It is in order to create God's people and to grow God's people. It is an absolute necessity that they hear God's word. Therefore, what he says is you need to read it to them. Read them the Bible. And it is a function of a trained pastor with absolute clarity and great emphasis to read to his people God's word. Why? So they might be hearers of the word of God and therefore might believe the word of God and therefore be saved. That is why we pray for God's spirit to illuminate our hearts before we read the scriptures, not just before the exposition of God's word. And from the reading then flows exhortation and teaching. The minister, your pastor, Scott, 
You are to share the gospel and you are to explain God's revelation in order that God's people are persuaded and encouraged to trust and to obey God our Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every sermon is about Jesus Christ, our mediator who came to reveal his Father and to make a way that we might know the fatherly affections of God in heaven. Then next, almost as a caveat to the reading and preaching and teaching of the ministry, Paul says to Timothy, this is such good news for pastors, he says, devote yourself to these. Devote yourself to the reading and the preaching and the teaching. Be vigorously dedicated to the ministry of God's word. That is your first priority the reading, the preaching, and the exhortation. Because the truth of the matter is, it won't take you long to figure this out at all, is Christian ministry is full of distractions from that. They are good things, but none of them come to the level of which Paul is talking about here that require devotion. And then what will be the result if you can follow this? Paul says, that all may see your progress. Paul says here that if you want to mature, if you want to grow as a pastor, guard yourself against distractions. The ministry of preaching and teaching are the priority. The church needs to hear that. Allow your pastors the time. Do not distract them with things that you could be doing. There are many ministries, many, many things that you could do But the ministry of preaching and teaching, that alone belongs to the pastors. Give them the space and the time to do that. But that's the job of the person that's going to do the charge. I've moved on. The ministry of preaching and teaching requires devotion. And Paul promises here that with that, kingdom advancement comes. Now, the power to do this comes through God's Holy Spirit. And only through God's Spirit. In verse 14, Paul commands Timothy to not neglect the gift that was verified and authenticated through his ordination, which occurred when the elders laid their hands on him and they prayed over him. And he calls it a gift, and the gift is from Jesus Christ, and only from Jesus Christ The source of ordination, the source of setting apart a man for this ministry comes from and is sustained by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 speaks of Jesus Christ in verses 7 and 11 of giving gifts to you, the church, for your sanctification. And one of those gifts that he enumerates in verse 11 is pastors. Now this means a few things. One, it means that no man should ever invite himself to become a pastor. It is God's spirit working through the desires of the pastor's heart together with the wisdom of the church. Where there is no spirit, there is no effective ministry. This also means that the pastor must not neglect the gift, the gift of being called. God's people also must be receptive since this gift of Scott and your pastors is from Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and he gives them for your sanctification. Then, 
Paul goes on and he gives a couple last points. He says in verse 16, he says to Timothy, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Now, keep a close watch means to put your mind on something, to give attention to something, to zero in on it. It's an, he says it's an arresting action. And what he's telling Timothy, he says, there needs to be a single action directed towards two things, indicating that these two things are inseparable. One is your life, your personal life, and your teaching or your doctrine. Paul goes on and he says to this, he says, persist in this, persist in the same way. Let this thought, the self-understanding that you have of yourself, govern all of your life and govern all of your doctrine. Watch and persist in your speech, in your life, in your love, in your faith, in your purity, in your reading, in your preaching, in your teaching. Because what you believe comes through your living as much as through your teaching. You cannot separate what God has joined together. A minister's life will also be his ministry, a great part of it. And I will say this, Scott, as well. It requires patience. And I'll say this to the church as well. This requires patience. A man does not become a minister all at once, overnight. It is an ongoing process of maturing. Give him time to come into the office of which he is being ordained today. Then Paul gives the reason that he needs to watch and persist in this. He says, for by so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. Do you hear that? Let me say that one more time. For so by doing this, you will save yourself and your hearers. In other words, the instructions that Paul is giving here is of an eternal significance. Your eternity. A pastor's ministry is to save himself, one, and two, to save those who sit under his ministry. Paul taught in Romans that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. You have to understand this, that it is not the pastor's merit or skill that saves Rather, it is trust in the promises of Jesus Christ. You need to be listening. You need to have ears of faith, always listening for God's word. The eternal destiny of any church is always tied up with the pastor's faithful proclamation of the gospel. That's God's ordination. That's a successful pastor. That's a successful ministry. That's a successful church. Now, I'll end here by saying this. If we are honest, Scott, if you're honest, you should probably be wanting to run towards the door right about now. It's a heavy burden. It's a heavy load. Uh, When Isaiah was brought before the Lord for his ordination, you could say, what did he say? Woe is me. He says, I'm undone. In other words, I'm, I'm becoming uncreated. I'm falling apart here. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, who is sufficient for this task? Who can do this? Who can bear the weight of the salvation of people? There's only one. There's only one that can bear that weight, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and Savior of his people. 
He is the head of this church. He is the Lord of this church. He is the groom of the bride. And it is only through trust in him, trust in the victory of his cross, trust in his will and his commandments that this church will be victorious too. It is through the grace that he pours out sufficiently that our salvation is not dependent upon the success or the failure of our ministry. Myself or Scott or John or Jonathan or Josh, any of us could fail absolutely miserably at being a pastor and still be covered in the blood of Christ, and so could you. That is God's grace. You have to look beyond the pastor, through the pastor, always keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ. It is through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, only by which we can climb up into this pulpit and preach and minister and pray for you and walk with you and baptize and serve you. Pray for that. Christian ministry requires a godly man, but first it requires Jesus Christ. Scott, your life and your character will follow you everywhere in ministry. But so will Jesus Christ. And he is the man above reproach. He is the one who absolutely perfectly watched his life and his doctrine. He is the one who persevered in them both in such a way that he earned the resurrection from the grave. He earned, he alone earned eternal life. And he alone is able to save completely all who trust in him. He is the one who knew what it was to need the Spirit's help to fulfill his ministry. And he is the one from the throne of grace who graciously and freely and abundantly pours out the unction of the Holy Spirit upon you to exercise all that he wants done among his people that he has poured his blood out for. Never forget, Scott. In church, you never forget. You belong to Jesus. You've been purchased with a price, the blood of him. This is his church. You are his people. And Scott, you are called and you are equipped by Jesus Christ. Therefore, minister to these people with absolute grace and in the boldness of our raised Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you through our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, he who is the chief pastor of this church. And Lord, I do pray that you would pour out your Spirit, seal Scott. Lord, I pray for fruitful ministry. I pray for conviction of sin in this church. I pray for the gift of repentance in the light of the grace of the gospel, and I pray for the comfort in that we are saved by a life we did not live or a death we did not die, but by our elder brother from heaven, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave his life as an atonement for sin for us. Father, I also want to pray for Allie and 
Hanley and Lelia and Mary Bell. Lord, protect them, guide them, hem them in. Lord, may the joys that Scott experiences and ministry pour out upon them as well. Bless this church through the ministry of its pastors. Protect them, and may your glory flow forth to all of Monroe and beyond because of your work here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Congregation, I believe it would be right if we stood. The Lord has spoken his word to us, and let us now speak a word of response of faith to him using the Heidelberg Catechism question number one. It says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong.